For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup sea foam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on sea foam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. From Meat Eaters World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. Firehawk, a great and, dare I say, badass name, and not just for the sake of having a badass name, like in that cheesy, awesome racing comedy, Ricky Bobby. In this case, the name Firehawk is very factual and very old. Australia's Aborigines have known several bird species, including the black kite, whistling kite, and brown falcon as firehawks for some 40,000 years. These birds are often seen around fires on the Australian savanna, feeding on lizards and small mammals escaping the flaming grass. What's more, firehawks have been observed picking up flaming sticks in their beaks and talons in order to transport the fire to new areas, forcing even more rodents and reptiles to move from their hiding places. You heard that correctly. The firehawks literally drop fire from the sky. This incredible story was brought to my attention by one Week in Review listener in Australia. Just last year, a study was published officially observing firehawks in the act of spreading fire. The Australian Aborigines said, Neat! We saw that too. But don't take our word for it. We've only been here for 40,000 years. This week, we're going to talk about honkers, as in geese, global warming, zombie moss, as well as a bunch of other interesting stuff. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. My decktop earthboxed garden is kicking ass. Tomato plants as thick as your wrist, enough parsley, basil, lemon thyme, mint, and shallots to start a little farmer's market. That update was for you horticultural enthusiast uh, type folks that wrote in wanting an update on my gardening situation. And on the subject of folks writing in to askcal at themeteater.com, 
fella named O'Keefe wrote in on the subject of fish and rings, as in the steelhead with the ring zip tied to its tail that was mentioned in episode 9 of Cal's Week in Review. The story that Mr. O'Keefe brought to my attention is of Matilda de Toscani, a widowed countess who accidentally dropped her wedding ring into a local spring. She was devastated and prayed to God to get the ring back. In answer to her prayers, a trout rose up from the spring with the wedding ring in its mouth. In recognition of the Piscine miracle, Matilda funded a monastery on the site of the spring in 1017 AD. Lovely story, but don't go thinking Matilda was just a well-off widow lamenting her man. Matilda of Tuscany, or Matilda of Tuscany, outlived two husbands, led multiple armies, and outfought Henry IV. Matilda was at one point crowned the Vice Queen of Italy by Henry V and is actually attributed with the funding and founding of over 100 churches. But back to the beer. That monastery is where you get the Belgian Trappist beer named Orville. You know, the one with the logo of a fish holding a ring in its mouth. In order to be authentic Trappist beer, the beer must be brewed within the walls of a Trappist monastery under the supervision and control of the community of monks. The revenue from the beer, outside of keeping the abbey running, is devoted to social services. There are only 10 Trappist abbeys brewing beer, six in Belgium, two in the Netherlands, one in Austria, and one in the United States. So, thanks for writing in, Mr. O'Keefe. I feel like I learned something. We're uh, sticking with the social services desk, but moving over to Denver with this piece of news. Colorado Parks and Recreation worked with USDA's Wildlife Services to capture Canada geese from the city of Denver's parks and move them to a meat processing facility. From there, the geese would be killed, processed, and ultimately cooked for the city's ever-expanding population of families and people in need. According to the USDA, the Colorado Front Range is currently supporting 44,000 mating pairs of Canada geese between Colorado Springs and Fort Collins. That's only a distance of 146 miles along the I-25 corridor. That's about 602 geese per mile, what the USDA calls a critical mass. Inside the city of Denver, during the summer season, the Parks Department estimates that they have a population of 5,000 geese, which produce around 5,000 pounds of goose poop per day, or 140,000 pounds of goose poop per month. Poop, of course, being the real issue with these geese. Quick side note, and I don't mean to add to their problems, but when I've walked in Denver's parks, goose poop was just one of several varieties I encountered, and of those varieties was actually the least troubling, in my opinion. But anyways, the park system is a perfect place for geese. We've created an environment that is basically predator-free and loaded with food. Well, Denver is now harvesting that overabundance of wildlife and feeding it to those in need. I say, way to go, Denver. Ultimately, the Department of the Interior is allowing for a maximum take of 2,200 geese per year by USDA officials. By my estimates, even a small goose will yield more than enough meat for a family of four. That's 8,800 people being fed if they are able to hit that quota, and that's a low estimate. For the naysayers of this project, I think you're right. This isn't a long-term solution for goose poop in parks but I can assure you that any real long-term solution that does come forward won't be as palatable as this one. And you know what they say, when life gives you lemons, make some goose pastrami. <coughs> Sticking to Colorado, 
Colorado Parks and Wildlife is attempting to reinstate a sense of wild into the not-so-wild wildlife on Mount Evans, near the Mount Evans Scenic Byway. Mount Evans being one of the prominent front-range peaks visible from Denver. So, thereabouts, mountain goats and bighorn sheep are starting to get a little too friendly with the sightseeing crowd. In response, state officials are going to use paintball guns, cattle prods, tasers, and a trained canine named Samson to put a little fear into them. The goats and bighorns started frequenting the Mount Evans Scenic Byway, which is the highest paved road in the U.S., in order to lick up salt used as de-icer. Animals were even seen licking car tires for the salt. Well, one thing led to another, and people started feeding them. Soon, sheep and goats were poking their heads into open car windows, and even, in one case, a goat briefly climbed onto the hood of an SUV. The animals have been observed running toward people carrying food and even exhibiting a behavior you may have noticed around dogs, which is running towards the sound of crinkling cellophane. Now, we all should know what happens when you combine ungulates and fast-moving cars, so it's high time that they demonstrate to these animals that there's more to lose from hanging around highways than there is to gain. The Colorado Highway Department will no longer be using salt on the road for de-icer, and for you people, quit feeding them. In fact, I'm going to suggest Colorado Parks and Wildlife officers start pointing their dogs and tasers in the other direction. Back to the source of the problem. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients 
are trapped in, ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Now, we're heading over the deep ocean to talk about an issue that's a serious bummer, but I'll try to turn it into an example of something positive. Plastic in the oceans. Unless you live under the proverbial rock, you're aware of the fact that our oceans have become a giant receptacle for plastics. Our waterways in general have become a means of moving plastics. Hell, I just got sent a water filter designed for backpacking with a label on it saying it filters 100% of microplastics. But back to the oceans, and to keep numbers manageable, we're going to talk plastic fishing gear, like nets, lines, ropes, that sort of thing. An estimated 6.4 million tons of plastic fishing gear is either discarded or lost in the ocean every year. You know when you flick a booger off the end of your finger? That booger may disappear from sight, but it didn't actually disappear. Just like that gross chunk of sloughed skin, snot, and nose hair, this fishing gear, although not attached to a person, is still a booger too. The gear keeps fishing, even though you flicked it off the end of your boat or lost it to a storm or accident or what have you. Marine wildlife is being entangled, hooked, and bound by old fishing gear, A brand spanking new net set today in that ocean has the potential to last for 600 years. As fish enter the net and get tangled, they attract predator fish as they struggle. Then, again, as the carcasses decompose, they attract scavenger species looking for an easy meal. These nets can stretch for as long as two miles, and they basically rebate themselves over and over again, collecting thousands of fish and marine mammals on their own. It's a nasty way to go. So to get to that upbeat part of this situation I was talking about earlier, scientists are starting to use more and more data collected from individuals posting pictures to social networks. Your phone is capable of collecting verifiable data even if you are a total knucklehead. Recently, a research scientist from the University of Exeter led a team that scoured research papers from 1940 onwards and Twitter from 2009 onward for reports of sharks being entangled in lost fishing gear. In the 10 years of data compiled by Twitter, they found twice as many reports of entangled marine life than in the 80 years of scientific reports. This doesn't mean quit writing your doctoral thesis and pick up Twitter. This just means that verifiable data is verifiable data. Doctorate not required. The age of the citizen scientist is back. Join the ranks of folks like John Muir and that guy in Columbia from a couple of episodes ago who snapped a picture of a thought-to-be-extinct weasel species on his toilet. Don't get bummed out by plastics awash in the ocean thinking that you can't help. Document your finds, post pictures, and ask questions at a minimum. If you want to get more involved, there are citizen scientist social groups for just about anything you're interested in, from gardening to bugs, birds to stars. Did you know Uranus was discovered by a musician and his sister with a homemade telescope? William and Caroline Herschel, 1781. Moving on to Kentucky. Firefighters from four counties responded to 45,000 barrels of burning bourbon at the Jim Beam warehouse in Kentucky. Aside from the obvious impact on the local party scene due to the lack of roughly 2.3 million gallons or 305,280,000 one-ounce shots of beam, 
the local fishery took a hit as well. The torrents of water being poured on the fire took the bourbon down to the Kentucky River, resulting in a 24-mile-long plume of bourbon in the waterway and thousands of dead fish. The fish aren't dying from alcohol poisoning, but from an abundance of bacterial growth resulting in depleted oxygen levels in the water. Although this bourbon spill scenario may seem wild to those of us living outside of the bluegrass state, the emergency response team manager for the Kentucky Department of Environmental Protection said, quote, The state knows how to handle bourbon spills, and we've had several occur in this state. So when this one occurred, we were just ready for it and knew what the actions were to take, which apparently is get that bourbon plume downstream to the Ohio River and get it diluted. Kind of like pouring a bourbon for your grandma. Got to add a little extra water in there. (laughs) Not the first bourbon spill is a bit of an understatement specifically for old Jim Beam. Back in 2003, a lightning strike to the Jim Beam warehouse resulted in 800,000 barrels of bourbon going into the creek. Last year, another fire resulted in a 9,000 barrel spill, and to repeat the latest spill of 45,000 barrels from just last week, that's a lot of bourbon. Now, I'm not one to come around to any sort of temperance, and I have, in fact, enjoyed some Jim Beam bourbon. But my gosh, if you look at these numbers, it's a wonder this stuff ever makes it out of the state, much less to a bar in Missoula, Montana. When you take into account the frequency of the spills and the ecological impact of hundreds of thousands of fish dying, and if the fish are dying, it's safe to say that some other critters probably aren't just partying it up in the bourbon-filled waters of Kentucky. The crawfish and invertebrates are taking a hit as well. So consider all that and take this quote in again from the Kentucky Department of Environmental Protection. Quote, the state knows how to handle bourbon spills, and we've had several occur in this state. So when this one occurred, we were just ready for it and knew what the actions were to take. Reminds me of that uh, line from The Princess Bride. These uh, words you're saying, I don't think they mean what you think they mean. Heading over to our What People Do for Fame desk. An actress, appearing on another one of those damn Survivor-style reality TV shows, may be heading to prison for allegedly collecting, killing, and cooking an endangered clam. The show, Law of the Jungle, was being filmed on location at Hat Chow Mai National Marine Park in Thailand. Thai waters hold five of the eight known species of giant clam found in the world though two of those may already be extinct due to overharvest for food, the aquarium trade, and decorative things in obnoxious houses. You know the type. Anyway, the actress in question was filmed pulling an endangered giant clam from a protected seabed, which could be punishable by up to four years in prison. Really goes to show you, no matter who you are or where you find yourself, you gotta read those fisheries regulations carefully. On the bright side, if Law of the Jungle films the prison stint, it will be the only one of these so-called reality TV programs that shows the actual reality of testing survival skills. They won't even need to change the name. Moving on to the climate change desk. Olicomnium turgidum, a once extinct species of moss, has come back to the land of the living. The moss has been under a 100-foot-thick wall of ice known as the Teardrop Glacier on Ellesmere Island since at least 1850. Ellesmere Island, of course, is where a rapidly and wide-ranging Arctic fox vixen dispersed to from episode 10 of Cal's Week in Review. Anyway, 
Ellesmere's Teardrop Glacier has been receding and scientists have been at the ready to pick up new or old species exposed by the retreating ice. The scientists were primarily looking for what was happening with plant and animal life before the glacier. But, in a handful of cases, they found out what is happening currently, as in life in spite of the ice. Alicomnium turgidum being one example. The long-dead moss grew new shoots and leaves when placed in nutrient-rich soil in a warm and bright laboratory despite being frozen for 169 years. If that's not interesting enough, another team has revived a patch of frozen, buried moss from under a three-foot layer of permafrost that's estimated at 1,500 years old. But wait, there's more. A microbiologist at the University of Tennessee has brought back million-year-old bacteria in the lab and even specimens with actual heads, brains, nervous systems, and anuses. Nematodes from way back in the Pleistocene. These samples came from Siberia. These findings have all sorts of implications in regards to understanding the robustness of life in the extreme environments of Earth and how once-frozen landscapes may be able to re-establish life when the receding glaciers have gone. But perhaps the most important in the immediate and short term, you, the listener, can go challenge your friends at the water cooler, park, bar, or dinner table with this. Bet you don't know what the oldest living animal is. Answer. Nematode. 41,000 years old. A half-millimeter-long worm-like animal that lived at the time of the Neanderthal and still lives now. Wow! Just, you know, in a lab. Lastly on Cal's Week in Review, I want to talk again about feral cats. Feral cats and their semi-domestic free-roaming cousins attribute to the deaths of 2.4 billion birds a year in the U.S., as well as the deaths of 12.3 billion small mammals per year in the U.S. If those statistics don't shock you, that's fine but you may want to postpone that family trip to Disney World and not just for the potential family fist fights. A feral cat was just picked up by animal control and tested positive for rabies. A 60-day rabies alert has been issued in Orange County, California, adjacent to the famous park. Rabies is not some sort of frontier-type disease only found in mangy old yellow dogs. That's an old yeller reference and a Disney movie, by the way. According to the Center for Disease Control, there have only been 23 reported cases of rabies in humans in the past decade, with eight of those cases coming in from outside of the U.S. We should stop here and make the point that a rabies infection almost always results in death. Those 23 cases of rabies reported in the U.S., 21 out of the 23 ended with the death of the infected. Roughly one person every 10 minutes is treated for possible exposure to the rabies virus. These infection rates are historically low, as in we are winning the disease battle against rabies, which has been primarily attributed to animal control measures, including outreach programs to vaccinate pets. Let's not slide backwards on this fight against rabies because we like to think about feral animals living happy lives when we aren't looking. Orange County animal shelters receive over 1,000 feral cats per month during typical summers, about 250 cats per month in the winter. That's a 2015 statistic, by the way. In addition, the happiest place on Earth has its own cat problem, with two employees being treated for rabies exposure and one employee being treated for flea-borne typhus, a disease that in rare cases can cause blood to harden in the veins and brain swelling. That doesn't sound so happy to me. 
I'm sure Pluto and Goofy and the rest of the critters in the kingdom would agree. Thanks for listening to Cal's Week in Review. As per usual, let me know how I'm doing at askcal@themeateater.com. Go to wherever podcasts are streamed and downloadable. Hit subscribe and leave me a review by hitting the furthest right-hand star. I'll talk to you next week. I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more.